Welcome back. This is Dr. Mark McCullough with another episode of Dante's Inferno. This time, Cantos 29 and 30. I'll be reading from the translation by Mark Musa and uh, afterwards offering my insights into these important cantos. The crowds, the countless different mutilations, had stunned my eyes and left them so confused they wanted to keep looking and to weep. But Virgil said, What are you staring at? Why do your eyes insist on drowning there below, among those wretched, broken shades? You did not act this way on the other bulge. If you hope to count them one by one, remember the valley winds some twenty-two miles around, and already the moon is under our feet. The time remaining to us now is short, and there is more to see than you see here. If you had taken time to find out what I was looking for, I started telling him, perhaps you would have let me stay there longer. My guide was moving on with me behind him, answering as I did while he went on, and added, Somewhere down along this ditch that I started, that I was staring at a while ago, I think there is a spirit of my family mourning the guilt that paid so dear down there. And my master said, From this time on you shall not waste another thought on him. Think on ahead, and let him stay behind. For I saw him standing underneath the bridge pointing at you, and threatening with his gesture. And I heard his name called out, Jerry Del Bello. That was the moment you were so absorbed with him that you did not look his way before he left. Alas, my guide, I answered him. His death by violence, which was which has not yet been avenged by anyone who shares in his disgrace, made him resentful. And I suppose for this he went away without a word to me. And because he did, because he, he did, I feel great piety. We spoke of this until we reached the start of the bridge <coughs> across the next Bolgia, from which the bottom with more light might have been seen. Having come to stand above the finer, the final cloister of the Malbolge, we saw it spreading out, revealing to our eyes its congregation. Weird shrieks of lamentation pierced through me, like arrow shafts whose tips are barbed with pity, so that my hands were covering my ears. Imagine all the sick in the hospitals between the months of July and September, crammed all together, rotting in one ditch. Such was the misery here, and such a stench was pouring out as comes from flesh decaying. Still keeping to our left, we made our way down the long bridge onto the final bank, and now my sight was clear enough to find the bottom where the High Lord's mistresses, Justice Infallible, meets out her punishment to falsify as she registers on earth. I doubt if all those dying in Aegina, where the air was blowing sick with pestilence and the animals down to the smallest worm, all perished. Later on, this ancient race, according to what the poets tell is true, was born again from families of ants. Offered a scene of greater agony, then was the sight spread out in the dark valley of heaped-up spirits languishing in clumps. Some sprawled out on others' bellies, some on others' backs, and some on hands and knees dragged themselves along that squalid alley. Slowly in silence, slowly we moved along, looking, listening to the words of all those sick who had no strength to raise their bodies up. I saw two sitting, leaning against each other, like pans propped back to back against a fire, and they were blotched from head to foot with scabs. I never saw a curry comb applied by a stable boy who was harried by his master, or simply wants to finish and go to bed, the way those two applied their nails 
and dug and dug into their flesh, crazy to ease the itching that can never find relief. They worked their nails down, scraping off the scabs the, the way one works a knife to scale a, be a bream or some other fish with larger, tougher scales. Oh, you there scraping off your scabs of, of mail and even making pinchers of your fingers, my guide began to speak to one of them. So may your fingernails eternally suff suffice their task. Tell us, among the many packed in this place, is anyone Italian? Both of us whom you see disfigured here, one answered through his tears, we are Italians. But you who ask about us, who are you? I am one accompanying this living man descending bank from bank, my leader said, and I intend to show him all of hell. With that, each lost the other's backs for support, and each one shaky turned to look at me, as others did who overheard these words. My gentle master came up close to me and said, Now ask them what you want to know, and since you wanted me to speak, I started. So may the memory of you not fade from the minds of men up there in the first world, but rather live on under many suns. Tell me your names and where it was you lived. Do not let your dreadful, loathsome punishment discourage you from speaking openly. I'm from Arezzo, one of them replied, and Albert of Siena had me burned, but I'm not here for what I died for there. It's true I told him jokingly, of course, I know the trick of flying through the air, and he, eager to learn and not too bright, asked me to demonstrate my art. And only just because I didn't make him Daedalus, he had me burned by one whose child he was. But here, to the last Bolgia of the ten, for the alchemy I practiced in the world, I was condemned by Minos, who cannot err. I said to my poet, Have you ever known people as silly as the Sienese? Even the French cannot compare with them. With that, the other leper who was listening feigned exception to my quip, excluding, of course, Stricca, who lived so frugally, and Niccolo, the first to introduce the luxury of the clove for condiment, into that choice garden where the seed took root. And surely not that fashionable club, where Acacia squandered all his woods and vineyards, where Abelachiato flaunted his great wit, that you may know who, is, who this is backing you against the Sienese. Look sharply at me, so that my face will give you its own answer, and you will recognize Capoccio's shade, betrayer of metals with his alchemy. You'll surely recall, if you're the one I think, how fine an ape of nature I once was. Canto 30 In ancient times, when Juno was enraged against the Thebans because of Semele, she showed her wrath on more than one occasion. She made King Enthemes go raving mad, so mad that one day, when he saw his wife coming with two sons in either arms, he cried, Let's spread the nets so I can pass the lioness with her lion clubs at the pass. Then he spread out his insane hands like talions, and seizing one of his two sons, uh, Lerchus, he whirled him round and smashed him on a rock. She drowned herself with the other in her arms. And when the wheel of fortune brought down low the immeasurable haughtiness of Trojans, destroying in their downfall kings and kingdom, Hecuba sad in misery a slave, after she saw Polycena lay slain, after this grieving mother found her son, Polydorus left unburied on the shore, now gone quite mad, went barking like a dog. It was the weight of grief that snapped her mind. But never in Thebes or Troy were madmen seen driven to acts of such ferocity against their victims, animal or human, as two shades I saw, white 
with rage and naked, running, snapping crazily at things in sight like pigs, directionless, broken from their pen. One, landing on Capoccio, sank his teeth into his neck and started dragging him along, scraping his belly on the rocky ground. The Arantine spoke, shaking where he sat. You see that baddie shade? He's rabid and he treats us all that way. Oh, I answered, so may that other shade never sink its teeth in you. If you don't mind, please tell me who it is before it's gone. And he to me, that is the ancient shade of Mira, the depraved one, who became against love's law too much her father's friend. She went to him, and there she sinned in love, pretending that her body was another's, just as the other there fleeing in the distance contrived to make his own the queen of studs, pretending he was Bosio Donati, making his will and giving it due form. Now that the rapid, the rabid pair had come and gone from whom I never took my eyes away, I turned to watch the other evil shades. And there I saw a soul shaped like a lute, if only he'd been cut off from his legs below the belly, where they divided into two. The bloating dropsy, disproportioning the body parts with unconverted humors, so that the face, matched with a paunch, was puny, forcing him to keep his parched lips wide apart, as a man who suffers thirst from raging fever, has one lip curling up, the other sagging. Oh, you who can bear no punishment at all, I can't think why. Within this world of sorrow, he said to us, pause here and look upon the misery of one master Adamo. In life I had all that I could desire, and now, alas, I crave a drop of water. The little streams that flow from the green hills of Castanino, descending to the Arno, keeping their banks so cool and soft with moisture, forever flow before me, haunting me, and the image of them leaves me far more parched than the sickness that has dried my shriveled face. Relentless justice, tantalizing me, exploits the countryside that knew my sin to draw from me every new sigh of pain. I can still see Romina, where I learned to falsify the coin stamped with a Baptist, for which I paid with my body, my burned body there. But if I could see down here the wretched souls of Guido or Alexander or their brother, I would not exchange the sight of Brandes' fountain. One is here already. If those maniacs running around this place had told the truth, but what good is it with my useless legs? If only I were lighter, just enough to move one inch in every hundred years, I would have started on my way by now to find him somewhere in this gruesome lot. Although this ditch winds around eleven miles, and is at least a half a mile across. It's their fault I'm here with this choice family. They encourage me to turn out florins, whose gold contained three carats worth of alloy. And I to him, who are those two poor souls lying to the right, close to your body's boundary, steaming like wet hands in winter time? When I poured into this ditch, I found them here, he answered, and they haven't budged since then, and I doubt they'll move through all of eternity. One is the false accuser of young Joseph. The other is false Sinon, the Greek in Troy. It's their burning fever makes them smell so bad. And one of them, perhaps somewhat offended at this kind of introduction he received, with his fist struck out at the distended belly, which responded like a drum reverberating. And Master Adams stuck, struck him in the face with an arm as strong as the fist he had received. And he said to him, Although I am not free to move around with swollen legs like this, I have a ready arm for such occasion. But it was not as free and ready, was it? The other answered. When you went to the stake, 
Of course, when you were coining, it was readier. And he with the dropsy. Now you tell the truth. But you were not as full of the truth that time when you were asked to tell the truth at Troy. My words were false. So were the coins you made, said Sinon. And I am here for one false act. But you for more than any fiend in hell. The horse, recall the horse, you falsifier, the bloated paunch was quick to answer back. May it burn your guts that all the world, world remembers. May your guts burn with thirst that cracks your tongue, the Greek said. May they burn with rotting humors that swell your hedge of a paunch to block your eyes. And then the money man. So there you go. Your evil mouth pours out its filth as usual. For if I thirst and humors swell me up, you burn more and your head is fit to split, and it wouldn't take much coaxing to convince you to lap the mirror of Narcissus dry. I was listening, all absorbed in this debate, when the master said to me, keep on looking a little more, and I shall lose my patience. I heard the note of anger in his voice, and I turned to him. I was so full of shame that it haunts my memory today. Like one asleep who dreams himself in trouble, and in his dream he wishes he were dreaming, longing for that which is, if as if it were not, just so I found myself, unable to speak, longing to beg for pardon, and already begging for pardon, not knowing what I did. Less shame than yours would wash away a fault greater than yours has been, my master said, and so forget about it. Do not be sad. If ever again you should meet up with men engaged in this kind of futile wrangling, remember I am always at your side. To have a taste for talk like this, is vulgar. It's a great conclusion to these uh, these two cantos where Virgil comforts Dante um, by saying uh, he's at his side and also uh, shame on you for listening to all this uh, gossip and banter and, and fighting between these damned figures. So it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of an interesting touching and touching conclusion uh, to... Uh, two cantos where uh, we get uh, volume on on the volume of violence at 11. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of blood and guts and parts and so forth and so on here. Uh, and then to, to kind of end in this quiet moment, the, um, the way that Dante writes the conclusion here is confusing about the dream and the dreamer. But basically Dante is saying uh, it's like a man who wakes up in a dream wishing the dream were true um, and then Virgil, as is Virgil's power, reads his mind and understands this. And uh, the truth here is that Dante is already forgiven uh, before he even feels the shame. So um, this is just a, a, one more um, example of the love uh, that the Virgil has for Dante, the mentoring, which is in stark contrast to the division and violence and the isolation of the damned here in hell. The end, really, one way to summarize Canto 30 is to say that all the suffering that the damned undergo here is suffering from within, not suffering from outside. That most of this damned in, in, in hell suffer from ex external forces. And uh, we can read into that their own contrapasso or their own their own uh, sin um, that, that, that eats them up internally. But literally, we get eating up internally disease, both mental and physical here in, the, um, in, the, in, this, 30, in this 30th canto. 
and the alchemists have leprosy and the the uh, the impersonators they're they're insane um, and those who you know print the coins the counterfeiters have dropsy and um, and even the liars are stinky because they <laughs> they are um, uh, they're, 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 they have a uh, high fever. Um, and so, um, in, in all of these, uh, sins of the fraud, right? Um, the, the, the falsifiers, it's like the falsification, the lying, the deception, the self-deception comes from within. And, um, Dante seems to be suggesting that fraud is itself, um, is itself a disease. This is a comment that Musa makes at the end of his, uh, notes in Canto 30, which are very, smart and on point which is to say that uh yeah it's to say exactly that that fraud is is a disease uh, and is a kind of disease and as music goes on to say it's kind of a corruption of a sense of values um and this is why he is so so hard on uh, some of these sins that we ourselves today many moderns would consider to be less than serious like you know counterfeiting money and dante comes down pretty hard on that so the canto itself, or canto 30 uh, itself, uh, attached to 29, is about the disease itself of, of, of self-deception and, and, uh, and lying. And we get um, a conclusion here to the Malabraj, um section of the poem. Uh, the, we get that kind of humor uh, involved, uh, fighting back and forth, name-calling, um, kind of a, a lower medieval humor. Um, this is the kind of lower medieval humor that Dante is drawn to, drawn to watching, and then Virgil um, is upset that he is paying any attention to it. So he interrupts him. But we get that, and we get a, a sort of a, com a, com a, a comedy ending here. You know, it's this comedy and um, a sort of farce and farce. Um, and... Uh, and, and so it wraps up uh, where we've been traveling, really, since uh, Canto 2021. And we're about to now enter into a much more silent, uh, 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 less populated, more quiet um, uh, doom, um, a kind of almost a void that we're going to pass into in, in, the, in, the, in the remaining cantos, uh, cantos 33 through 34. Uh, so returning to Canto uh, 29, um, we see that as Dante looks in lines 58 through 66, as he looks out on all the sufferers and he compares uh, the suffering here and to the island of Aegina, um, this image, it's kind of a confusion of images here. Of, he's not really quite sure who he's seeing in all of this is itself reflective of the moral, the moral tone of, of the poem, the confusion of diseased bodies really reflects the confusion of falsification and the confusion of, of the truth. And so as Dante becomes increasingly um, confused, uh, uh, so too uh, do we believe that, um, that the, the damned here have confused themselves. He also is interested in identifying um, these, uh, uh, some of these damned. He uh, believed that somewhere in the ditch there was someone, a spirit of his family, Italian, and, uh, and says that his death by violence had not been avenged, however, that having nothing to do with his, of his being there. Um, and so the, this uh, uh, 
continuation of Dante's dis, uh, attempt to identify the damned and then the damned uh, identifying themselves. This, of course, is one of the conceits of the, of the Inferno, uh, where Virgil and Dante both uh, get the damned to open up <clears throat> about themselves and describe their, their situation uh, by using uh, the sort of the, the carrot of uh, fame or of um, recognition. The word Dante uses once he identifies this soul uh, in line 36 is piety. And I read that uh, with emphasis and, delib and, and deliberateness because I did not want to confuse with the word pity. And we know that Dante throughout the Inferno has been given to pity and this is one thing he's learned not to do but the word here is not pity but piety because he's uh this death has not been avenged and he's part of of the family and uh dante is so brilliant in giving these moments where we see the loss uh of 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 these these lives right the the waste the waste of of a life um such as uh such as this this figure such as the soul, um, Jerry DeBello. Um, and uh, it, it gives a sense that, that a, a, a life of violence is, is, meaning, is meaningless and empty, and, um, and so uh, revenge can't even be enacted. No contrapasso can be enacted really on earth. Uh, justice is not served. There's sort of a wastefulness uh, w with it. And uh, this is Dante's sort of brilliant uh, naturalism of, of, of to suggest among all of these bodies and violence and zombies and insane, and, um, these, these more uh, poignant moments of loss uh, uh, for, our, for those who have lived uh, not in accordance with, um, uh, with, with, with God's will, with, with, with even the will of a good, good man or woman. And then just as we see these moments of uh, poignancy, we get to the comical uh, figures who are leaning up against each other. I just recently, um, uh, I won't say finished a book, uh, I actually stopped reading it. Uh, there's a, um, a biography on, on Samuel Beck, and I stopped reading halfway through because I, uh, well, that's a whole other subject why I stopped reading it. Samuel Beckett was one of my heroes when I was younger. And um, Beckett was a was a huge fan of Dante, and it was sections like uh, like like these uh, uh, where you have this kind of weird banter uh, going on back and forth between these you know these gentlemen who are in these extreme situations that influenced um, you know uh, waiting for Godot um, and uh, really influenced Beckett the the, the, the great modernist playwright. Um, he found uh, humor. Uh, in these in these in these sections and um, just wanted to draw your attention to 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 that moving along into the opening to uh, canto th uh, 30 uh, Dante uh, in in a fashion that we are now used to uh, gives a, a classical reference to the ancient times and he mentions here the king Athamas who uh, Kills his own, kills his own children, and then his wife uh, commits suicide um, in response to to the smashing of the baby against the rocks, um, and also how the Trojans themselves were brought down, um, 
and through that, uh, the madness of Hecuba through through sadness, and 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 Polydorus is being left uh, unburied on the shore. All these are all these these are examples, of course, that uh, Virgil wrote about in the Aeneid and would have understand. And um, so he brings in these ancient comparisons uh, in order to um, do a few things, right? I mean, these are what we might say literary literary allusions to, to those things. But it's also to kind of one-up them as well, right? Because he goes on to say uh, in line 22, but never in Thebes or Troy were madmen seen driven to acts of such ferocity. Uh, and then he goes on to describe the two shades who are uh, like pigs and then... Uh, Capoccio uh, is bitten uh, by Gianni uh, Scacci, who is uh, turned into a to, turned into a, a zombie, uh, um, and through all these descriptions, again, to, the the disease is not from outside, or the suffering is not from outside. The suffering is from within. Madness, uh, being rabid, you know, having rabies, uh, having a fever. The madness here, and it's particularly. Um, a good marriage between the sort of classical and medieval ideas of um, not just the humors, but rather the the way in which uh, insanity uh, seems to attack uh, great people. Right? It's 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 like this. Uh, it's like another. I think it's the word "ate" is what Agamemnon mentions in in the in the Iliad, where he feels that he has been visited by sort of insanity or um, ir- irrationality. Um, and so here too are we seen uh, with these comparisons again with dogs uh, with with beasts uh, and sort of a kind of a, 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 a madness that that wells from within and then strikes strikes those around um, and the depravity and the violence here um, uh, it, it makes it difficult for Dante to take his take his eyes off of it and this is where he begins to uh, become fascinated almost with this. Um, I don't know. It's like a, a you know a modern day um, asylum, right? I mean, this is this is this is the this is the kind of uh, tone that Dante is is fitting here. This is a a, a hellish um, a hellish mental hospital uh, where um, where there's all these haunting images that still, in many ways, stick stick with Dante even as he. Even as he's writing it, uh, you know, post journey or after the journey, and finally, for for uh, for, uh, for my comments, finally, not finally for the canto, but finally for my comments, the Sinon, the um, the uh, traitor, um, uh, who is captured uh, by, um, well, he's not a traitor actually. He's the he's the Greek who is a sort of a spy who's captured by the Trojans who ushers in. The great lie that brings down the, uh, the that brings down Troy. Here he is, um, in lines uh, 105 on. He's the one who uh, could not tell the truth at Troy, and he responds by saying, "Well, my my words are false. Uh, uh, so were the coins you made, uh, and that was one thing. And you did a whole bunch. So that's sort of the humor of the passage. But Sinon is mentioned, uh, which refers us back to um, uh, Canto t- uh, 26 with Ulysses, uh, who himself is being um, who, who himself is in hell because of the, um, because in part of his, uh, you know, his, his creation of the stratagem of the Trojan horse, which Sinon is a part of. And I, drawing your attention again to how um, Virgil's Aeneid, uh, particularly the book two of the Aeneid that has this episode of Sinon and, and Ulysses and, and the fall of Troy, 
is really a, a, a model uh, for falsification for Dante. Storytelling, invention, false fictions, these are all components of the Greeks uh, in their defeat of Troy. And Dante wants us to see how um, these falsehoods can be used against us. And uh, um, it can be used against us to get us to uh, pity, right? The signs of the world. Uh, and, and we lack the resolve to live rightly. It also can help us see the truth we already know or to unsee the truth that is that we already know. So falsification, deceptions, even self forms of self-deception are dangerous to, to Dante because um, it undermines uh, his will, right, which he's t attempting to correct here. And he will uh, have corrected it by the conclusion of the Inferno, uh, spoiler alert, um, but these are the, uh, these are the uh, situations in which um, that is brought out as to why it's so dangerous uh, to listen uh, to listen to those who lie, uh, they they their falsehoods seek to undermine uh, un undermine us. And so, yes, this is a comical scene with Sinon, but back in twenty six with Ulysses, a kind of a, a Sinon like figure, we saw how dangerous that was, and especially how dangerous it was to Dante himself, a poet, a storyteller, uh, one who um, uh, one who trades in in inventions. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, uh, my brief commentary on, on 29 and 30. I'll be back next time uh, with uh, Canto 31. Uh, we're very close here to the end, so I look forward to discussing these more with you and having you listen uh, to me as I listen to Dante.